J-Cut, and this is the K-Cut, a movie podcast for movie fans. Hello, good evening everyone. My name is Andreas, and I am the creator and one of the writers over at Films Fatale. I love international cinema, art house cinema, but a little bit of everything in between. Who else do I have with me? James here. I'm a content creator. I produce and release music under the alias Boutique Paul. I'm one half of the Preferred to Say podcast. Uh, I've contributed a few articles to Films Fatale as a writer. And while I'll pretty much watch anything once, uh, my main interests lie in 70 cinema and no-budget cinema. I'm Rachel, and I also write for Films Fatale. I love lost film, classic Hollywood, musicals, and international cinema. And this week, I was thinking about non-actor actors. We all know them. They're athletes or politicians or... Uh, singers, or just people from everyday life who become actors and appear in film. Sometimes this works, sometimes it doesn't. So this episode, for the first half, we're going to talk about a performance from a non-actor that really worked. Maybe it wasn't brilliant, maybe it wasn't the greatest thing on the planet, or maybe it was, but either way, the performance suited the movie it was made for. Then in the second half, we'll talk about one that didn't work. Again, we mean no disrespect to these people, they did better than we ever will, and... Maybe their performance wasn't the worst, but it just didn't work for whatever the project was going to be. Sounds good to me. It's an interesting topic that you came up with here because I feel like acting is certainly taken for granted, especially when it comes to famous faces. So it'll be nice to see famous or unfamous people outside of their comfort zones doing really well. But it will also be interesting to see which performers... Could not rely on just their name alone. All right. Well, that sounds like you might want to start, Andreas. Uh, sure. I don't know if I'm a weird one to start with, and you'll see why in a second. But I, um, at first, I was trying to go through a lot of famous names in my head, and I was like wondering if either of you were, were going to pick the names that I was thinking of. I feel like James might have, but we'll get to that later. Um, so then I was like, wait a second. This is a perfect opportunity for something like, say, the uh, Italian New Realist movement, where you're you're hiring non actors who are everyday people who aren't professionals uh, outside of like you know having a career. They're not like professionals in the entertainment or sporting or uh, multimedia industries that sort of a thing. So um, at first, I went way back until I realized I don't really have to go that far back at all. Um, I'm actually picking somebody who I believe was just a teacher when she was picked up by Alfonso Cuaron. I'm going with Yalitza Aparicio for uh, Roma. Yes. And yeah, she's a preschool teacher. So um, first off, if you don't know, and I'm not sure why you wouldn't, if you're familiar with me or this pod, because I've talked about this a million times, Roma is one of the greatest films of all time. I think it is a masterpiece and one of the best of the 21st century, for sure the best of the 2010s, in my opinion. And part of that is because um, Yelitsa Aparicio is perfect casting, perfect. And the fact that she was like nominated for an Oscar speaks volumes. And what I love the most about this performance is, and Alfonso Cuaron, this, this is kind of why I wanted to go with this and not Italian neorealist stuff. He could have picked anybody that he wanted. He's worked with some really big names, Michael Caine, George Clooney, Sandra Bullock, um, you know, anybody from the Harry Potter universe because of the Prisoner of Azkaban. He could have worked with anybody that he wanted, especially within, uh, you know, Spanish-speaking communities. He could have picked anybody, but instead he opted for somebody who's never acted before. And what do you get? You get a performance that's not melodramatic. It's not extreme. There's no feigned sadness or, or seriousness 
this is somebody who just lives the part. And I feel like that's so important for the film and being submerged into this, uh, being submerged into this crazy time capsule that he plants for us. Part of that is because it had to be neutral, but pure and not boring. And she just ticked all the boxes. Yeah, well, it was quite extraordinary that her performance took on what it did uh, on the Hollywood Awards circuit that the year that it came out. I'm very happy that it did because she was going up against some um, uh, some big names, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was like uh, Olivia Coleman. Um, was that the Glenn Close year as well? I think so. Yeah, Lady Gaga, I think. Um, and that's that's huge that she was going up against these people. That's that's really tough competition but uh there she was and i feel like she just held her own in fact i would argue she was like one of the better performances of the pack and that's not an easy group of people to be up against you know the whole the whole thing with roma during award season was almost surreal because it was like wasn't like the first netflix film the academy decided to take seriously Yes, and then they didn't give it Best Picture probably for that reason. But, exactly. You know. <laughs> so I, w- I would argue that they didn't take it seriously. In fact, you know, at first uh, I was like, oh, well, it was dumb for me to think that they would give an international film Best Picture, but I had a little bit of hope. But once Parasite won, I was like, wait, maybe it had nothing to do with it being international at all. Maybe it was literally because it was Netflix. And lo and behold, they've given Apple TV Plus an award for Best Picture before they're willing to give it to Netflix. And I don't know, that's extra salty. <laughs> Maybe someone from Netflix just really upset the Academy. Oh my God, probably. Probably how they handled Annihilation and similar other stuff. They're like, you know what? You don't deserve it. <laughs> um, but yeah, Yelitsa Aparicio is a brilliant performance in this film. She plays a housemaid and you see the entire film through her eyes. And because she presents herself as a tabula rasa of sorts where um, anybody who's worked every day, um, tough lives, um, tough careers, doing stuff that they probably felt like were dead end. You feel it kind of through her, no matter what community you're part of. It's um, just a breathtaking, but also very nuanced and simplistic performance. It's, it's a lot more difficult than it looks. And I think I feel like she was perfect. Agreed. Mm-hmm. What about you, James? Um, who did you pick for your professional, and why is it? Okay, I'm not going to spoil who it is, but I know exactly who it is. <laughs> you know exactly, really. James is full of surprises, Andrea. Surely you know this. But uh, okay, so I'll tell you why I think I know who it is. I uh, we, we like to discuss stuff um, through Messenger when we're trying to plot episodes, so we don't cross over each other's picks. And I was like, is anybody picking any uh, athletes? And you were like, yeah, I'm picking an athlete. And I said, okay, for bad or for good? And you said for good. And I, I don't want to be disrespectful, but most most athlete performances are really bad. So I was like, well, that narrows oh, yeah. it down. <laughs> yeah, it definitely narrows it down. And it's funny because I was like, I didn't think about it until you said that. I was like, I probably picked the one he was going to pick. It's from a couple of years ago, right? No, it actually isn't. Oh, so you're wrong. Okay, I was going to guess Kevin Garnett for Uncut, for Uncut Gems. Oh, I didn't even think of that one. That was great. Except that movie gave me mass anxiety throughout the whole whole sequence of that movie. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm dead wrong then. Who did you pick? Uh, I actually decided to go with NBA player Ray Allen for his role in Spike Lee's He Got Game. Oh, Jesus Shuttlesworth. 
There's only two great performances by athletes, Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen. It's the, it's the other one. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. The movie came out in 1998. Yeah. Spike Lee, um, hired NBA player Ray Allen, who is now a hall of famer and apparently had the record for most three pointers in his entire career until Steph actually Curry. just last year when Steph Curry beat it. But this movie totally subverts your expectation of what an athlete should be as an actor. Like this is his first role and he's acting like he's been, he had been doing it for a couple decades. I mean, I think it helps that it's kind of a more nuanced performance for him that he can identify with. Cause he's playing a basketball player, but just every emotion he has to go through is just on point, And it just makes you think like, how do we get like, you know, Shaq and Kazam and like other, you know, Michael Jordan and space jam. But then you get this and it's like, I don't know. I, I, maybe it could be just like, if you cast an athlete at an art house film, maybe it fares better. Cause like the same with Kevin Garnett, like uncut gems. Is not really like a, you know, like a blockbuster of any kind Mm -hmm. or like a summer movie of any kind, but yeah, just, yeah, he um, plays the character uh, Jesus Shuttlesworth because Spike is always really great at coming up with names for people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it has name. to do with um, Denzel Washington plays his dad and uh, he's a prisoner and he has, he's gotten a deal where he might be getting, I think it was he gets his sentence shortened if he yeah. can convince his son to go with a specific college because he's like, you know, top pick for like college teams currently and it just kind of goes through that and you know it has like you know sequences him you know touring touring school and you know you just see kind of the shadiness of how they try to get players and meanwhile there's like kind of like a side story with uh mila jovovich which is kind of weird it doesn't always fit but it kind of works and yeah it's just i don't know it just really takes you by surprise like how well and you know it's like oh athletes can act and I think they can if you give them the right material and aren't just doing it for the namesake. Because I think at the time, it's like Ray Allen was notable, but it wasn't he wasn't like superstar status at the time, I don't think. I mean, he's known a little bit differently now because, you know, you brought up the three-point um, three record that he had. And he's for sure a fantastic shooter. But he used to be like a great dunker, like a team leader. Like he was like all over the place. When was he got game? Because I'm trying to... 98. 98 so that was like right at the start of his career like during the 2000s he was like a, a must-have player when he was playing for seattle um eventually when he was playing for the celtics and for the heat of course um so i think i know what it is you had to have been a part of the 2008 championship celtics team to be a good actor because that's uh that's ray allen and that's kg <laughs> except that was like after ray allen's performance but you know <laughs> I, th- I think it's criteria <laughs> I think it was, uh, oh, who else? There was also actually a really great performance by Rosario Dawson, who yes. plays his girlfriend in the movie. Because, you know, she's, she's an so absolute underrated. treasure in anything she's in. Huh? She's very underrated as an actor. Oh, she definitely is. I think when you look at her career compared to, like, how people recognize her, it's like, no, she's done some absolute gems. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, athletes can act if you, you know, pick the right ones and put them in the right movies. And if not, they can just be charismatic at the right moments. It's it's tough because I feel like it's yeah it's you you bring up an interesting point. I wonder if uh, you know these issues have to do with 
getting athletes kind of like, you know, because they get really emotional and invested when they're playing. But how do you get them to convey that or feign that that emotion, you know, for the camera? It's not an easy transition for a lot of athletes. And, you know, you can tell by their advertising uh, capabilities as well that, you know, they're they're here to play ball or to or to shoot. They're not like well well versed in yeah speaking to the camera or trying to you know garner an audience in that sort of a way. But then you have Ray Allen. It's interesting, you know, to wrap this up. Uh, Ray Allen is also interesting because if you know anything about him as like a player or a person, he's really kind of reserved. So. I think that's what worked for the movie. Maybe. And he's not like putting on a front or whatever. He's he's pretty human, you know, quiet, introverted, but he's human. Righty. So, Rachel, who did you pick? I went with two people, and I'll explain why. Um, so one of the performances in this is a child performance, which um, it's kind of hard to include kids in this because a lot of them could qualify for non-actor actors because they haven't really done anything because they're kids. That's true. So I went with The Florida Project, which is a film almost entirely composed of non-actors with the notable exception of Willem Dafoe. And so I picked two actors to represent this film, and that's Bria Venite. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, who plays the mother mm-hmm. of the main child character in this movie, who is played by Brooklyn Prince. So Prince and Venite are the ones that I've chosen. And they have to portray some very difficult scenes and some very raw emotions, and they do it splendidly. Neither of them had any acting experience. I think Venite came from Instagram. And, like... This movie's very dark, and it's some very tough stuff, and they handle it extremely well. The Florida Project is honestly one of my favorite films of the last decade. I think it really shows the sort of dark underbelly to this touristy view of Orlando. And the entire cast really pulls it off incredibly well, but Brooklyn Prince was the real find in this one. But Vinayte, she had a difficult job, and she really, really rocked it. Yeah, as somebody who used to go to Florida on a yearly basis when I was younger, and I could, like identify and you know when i was younger is key i could identify a lot of the location spots that they had like that wizard shop that they pass i i remember seeing that like on a daily basis um and i was like oh the purple i used to think of them as like little purple castles then you watch this and you're like you know if i went more often when i was older i would have been you know aware of this but you know watching it now i was like oh those aren't castles at all that's like those are like the slums of Florida, basically. This is this is their version of a ghetto, and it's like, oh, and you know what Sean Baker captures is a very real depiction of you know living an impoverished life, and that's who he picked. I feel like part of the reason why the performances were so good, especially the the mother character, and I I hate that this is true, but I feel like a lot of this stems from like real life and what they've had to face. I mean, that's really tough, but they're channeling it for, because, you know, you don't watch the Florida Project to be entertained. You watch it to get a depiction of something that you're not aware of. That's what Sean Baker's films do. They shed light on something that you're not aware of, like very specific communities. And boy, do you get introduced to the um, uh, some of the lives of Floridians and what they have to face on a daily basis. Exactly. And Brooklyn Prince, you know, she had to play this incredibly complex character as a child, and she absolutely pulled it off. I mean, she just goes through so much in that film. And Vinayte, 
Her character is awful. She's a terrible person. It's really, really hard to sympathize with her because she does some pretty rotten things in that film. And yet there is still this borderline sympathy for her. And it was a very tough balancing act. And they had to hold up to Willem Dafoe, who basically ran away with the film. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But like, you know, whether it's the performances or Sean Baker himself, I love that the film or his films in general don't shy away from like the, the ugly side of these characters and what, you know, what makes them not necessarily good people. But at the same time, you could chalk it up to the fact that they've lived like this their entire lives and they've developed these types of personalities and these traits or, you know, a lot of this stems from what they have to do to survive. They're not necessarily like awful people. They've just gestated into such and we're not, his camera never judges them. It presents them. So you're, they're almost documentarian in that way where it's like, okay, I see this person doing bad things, but I feel really sorry for this predicament that they're in. And the cast was almost entirely non-actors. I just had to pick a couple to represent them. And really, they really create this community quite well. They feel like a real group of people that you might meet. Yep. To your point, there there are other children that are great. Um, Other adults that are really good. Willem Dafoe, of course, is brilliant. And he's like the uh, the glue that, that... keeps everything together they needed at least like one professional in this one to keep her from going off the rails i think because Will defoe is known for being kooky this is like one of those most reserved performances he's ever done yeah and just sean baker's films in general are just so good to check out for this reason like he did red rocket last year and he uses many of the same techniques and some non-actors as well and it works just as well and really unlikable characters too and shout Which out to Tangerine as well for talking about his films. The guy's just got like a winning record at this point. I can't wait to see what he does next. Oh yeah, me neither. Um, having said that, uh, we're about to get into some uh, <laughs> some people whose stuff that maybe we're not so fond of seeing next. Maybe off camera, depending on what they do for a living. So uh, I guess now we're getting into the, uh, the non-actors in front of the camera who maybe didn't do the best job. Shall we go in the same order? Sure. Okay. Oh, so then that means it's me. Okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You played yourself. (laughs) I I did. I did. Um, It's funny that uh, a certain name was brought up earlier. um, And I think he's one of the most dominant uh, big men of all time in the sport of basketball. I feel like he is a legend at the five. Shaquille O'Neal is fantastic. But at the same time, Goodness gracious, as an actor, just goodness gracious. Now, don't have no fear, James. I was not going to bring up uh, Kazam as not great as that is. Uh, I oh, don't know. I know what you're picking then, I think. <laughs> there is a film that is considered the, like, you know, if superhero films were to die, the, oh, possible, yep. the possible film that would have killed the superhero genre, uh, if not Batman and Robin. This is actually considered worse, and by God, is it ever. That Steel <laughs> starring... Never even heard of it. Oh, my God. Okay, so first off, James, which one did you think I was going to say? Well, when you said... Actually, when you said it was Shaq, I knew instantly it was going to be Steel, because I was okay. like, I brought up Kazam, and he didn't He didn't react to that. I was like, as soon as you said Shaq, I was like, oh, it's got to be Steel. Like this, that... <laughs> the other one. <laughs> So, uh, Steel is from 1997, uh, around the same time as Batman and Robin, which, hey, Batman and Robin, I feel like it's so bad it's good. Steel is just miserably awful, like, 
for sure one of the worst films uh, I think anyone might ever see. Um, and don't get me wrong. It's it's not just bad because of Shaquille O'Neal. Pretty much everything in this film is awful. So here's a uh, superhero film with the, uh, the title character, Steel, uh, who's a DC comic superhero, actually. Um, so it naturally it makes sense to cast Shaq as this big behemoth of a character because, you know, Shaq is, you know, dynamic in size and he was known as Superman back in the day. Um, but first off, you know, his acting chops, is, unlike Kazam where he's at least being playful, I at least find Shaq to be a good playful person, not as an actor, but like just as a person, he's very playful. Yeah, I find a lot of athletes can make it work if their performance is just supposed to be fun and they're fun. And yeah, that's apparently not what's going on here. <laughs> no, uh, this is not a fun film. And it's not because it's like bad. It's terrible, but it's meant to be serious. Um, it's yeah, it's meant to be serious. And that's already you're already seeing why that's not so good. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing, I think it's trying to be realistic in a film that shouldn't be realistic but it also isn't realistic but for some reason it's trying to be so uh i'll get straight to the point steel is a terrible character in this film he gets knocked over by everything he gets hurt he gets hurt by everything and this is supposed to be like the superhero yet he's awful and he's i would argue not even like the the strongest character in the entire film not even as a protagonist like there are other characters there's another character, if my memory serves me correctly, who winds up saving the day before he does. Um, this character sucks. Like, he's so clunky acting-wise because of Shaq, but also just as a person, he just stomps around and takes forever to lift his arms to, to attack, and he's falling over the place. Like, it's just dismal. And then Shaq trying to be serious is just, oh, it's awful. <laughs> I haven't seen this movie in years, more than a couple decades. But the problem, it's not only Shaq's performance, but I think the treatment of the character Steel. So for those who aren't familiar with Steel, Steel is actually a supporting character in the Superman okay. canon. And he's an engineer inspired by Superman, creates a mechanical suit. So basically an Iron Man suit that replicates Superman's powers. But what they kept in Steel was the hammer. That's, That's like the main thing they kept in the fact that he has a metal suit. But yeah, so this is actually supposed to be a Superman character. I mean, not actually, but he becomes Superman for a little bit after Superman is killed by Doomsday and like comic book continuity. But they just totally threw that out the window and made it completely different. Most people to this day don't know it's a DC property because okay. of how they made that movie. Yeah. but Okay, so you've seen it. Do you remember like it's his friend, I think, who like straps like rockets to her chair and like helps save the day at the end of the film. So. It's it's <laughs> it's, it's been like so long. I think that the the problem with Shaq was like Shaq was so larger than life at the time. It wasn't even just like he was doing music, video games. movies. Yeah, he had video games. Shaq <laughs> food to this day ever. is still one of like the hardest fighting games for some reason. Well like, it's considered it one difficult. of the worst fighting games as well. Because oh like, it is yeah but it's hard. But yeah, so this, it was like that period of like the late 90s. He literally was doing everything. If not now, like with all of his endorsements, if not now. I mean, the, also, is it just me or were the 90s kind of the golden age of all these athletes trying to act? Yeah, because, you know, this was post the, um, like the Showtime era or like the 80s of basketball. I feel like basketball, because of Michael Jordan as well, was like 
getting so abnormally huge and they were like being seen not just as athletes but as superstar celebrities and i think that translated to a lot of other industries as well for different reasons so like models because of like the the 80s models and the 90s models era like like um cindy crawford and um in Turlington, I feel like every industry was ha- having its own thing, but at the same time. So the 90s were uh, were a huge sandbox for people trying to act when they probably shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, well, no, the 90s, it seems like basketball players are trying to do it. And then the early 2000s, it was like the pro wrestler. Oh, yeah. It was like, I'm going to do movies now. Like when The Rock really took off in acting, it was like, man. But he he actually succeeded at it. He's actually doing okay, so... Not too shabby. One of the best-selling stars of all time. Not too shabby. Yeah, I'm glad Shaq isn't doing movies anymore. Yeah, but I love him on Inside the NBA. So uh, you know, he he has found his 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 place to be fun and have a good time. So, um, but that's my pick. Sorry, Shaq. I love you as a player. You're top ten for sure. Uh, James, what about you? Not that Shaq's listening. Uh, what about <laughs> you? Who are you picking? I'm not gonna lie. I had a really hard time at first because I was like, I was like, what do I do? Because I was trying to think like who's a non-actor that I just didn't really care for. I mean, I, I kind of wanted to go for the obvious. Uh, like I, I, two options I had were glitter starring Mariah Carey and Ooh. crossroads starring, uh, Britney Spears. But I was like, nah, that's, those are too easy to bash on. So I decided to go with Christina Aguilera and burlesque. Oh, yeah. because this was, this was a miscast. That whole movie was a miscast of everything. Oh, it Cher? Especially Cher. (laughs) Cher can do better. This movie could have worked if you didn't get somebody who was already a veteran in an entertainment industry. I can't believe Christina Aguilera as a newcomer in anything. That's that's my things. It's like, it's yeah, it's just the performance wasn't believable because of it's Christina Aguilera, like super mega star. And she's playing somebody who's kind of reduced to this like protege character. And I think there was a little bit too cliche of a pick as far as like a mentor character. Isn't it also from what I remember, cause I only watched it once and I kind of vowed not to do it ever again. Um, <laughs> it's basically all about Eve, right? Yeah. Okay. So if that's the case, Maybe you should have gone to somebody who's less of a big name than yeah, Christina Aguilera to be the yeah the protege who's like trying to dethrone the megastar. Some young Broadway star could have had a great uh, launch out of this. Yeah, like look what happened with Ariana DeBose with uh, West Side Story. That could have easily been the case over here. Exactly. Yeah, I think it was. Also, I think it was also. It was like it was trying to be a little too fun. Like I think it was trying to replicate the sass of Chicago and then failed. Oh yeah, it was that era of musical movie. Yeah, I remember. I, I remember. I think. I think I even saw it in theaters. I don't even remember why I saw it in theaters. I think I was seeing it with somebody. Maybe I think I might have seen it with a friend or something. But I just, I just remember walking out like I was like that just wasn't that good. And I think the problem is like I think they were trying to capitalize too much on the star power of Cher and Christina Aguilera. Like you know, you still got to make a good movie, right? Do you know if they were executive producers? Because there's a very good chance that maybe they wanted it done and they were like, hey, you know, this would be cool. I get to act with Cher or vice versa. Like, I mean, it could have been like a business proposition more than, hey, let's make a good movie. Googling it, Googling it. Uh, (laughs) Not actually sure. I can't find it easily, but Kristen Bell, you were in this? Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's, It's been a while. I forgot that. Wait, really? 
Mm-hmm. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. she was. Stanley Tucci was in it. I totally forgot about oh, that. Oh, him I remember. Him I remember. Who got Alan nominated? Cumming, uh, Diana Agron from Glee. Oh, Dr. McSteamy. Oh yeah, McSteamy is in this as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Who else? Or uh, who got nominated for Golden Globes? Because I know there were for sure a couple. Oh, Golden Globes. <laughs> Am I yeah, wrong? Um, I don't know. I'll just we'll just say they all did. Uh, uh, let's see. Oh yeah, so it was a couple of the songs and then best uh, picture musical best or comedy, picture. and then Cher got a Brazzy nomination. Oh, okay, that makes sense. See, I think the problem I also have is just like, like I said before, I think not even just Christina was first, but Cher. The reason I say it's cliche, I think it's just because it's Cher, but also it was like Cher is a little too. Uh, I don't know what to call it on the nose. Like she, it's on the nose, but at the same time, it's like, I feel like you can't really even like consider her for that role. Just cause I feel like she doesn't really act like she's a mentor. Whenever you see her out and about doing her things, it's almost like she's too good to be a mentor. No, Maybe it fair. was just how she was portrayed in the film. I was just like, it just wasn't believable. It's almost like, like I think a good way to, do an aging performer was how they did it in Black Swan with um, Winona Ryder. Yes. Uh, that that was how you do somebody who's kind of like not at the top anymore. Or Betty Davis in The Precursor, All About Eve, who is the ultimate example of this role. And how many films have, yeah, basically been indebted to it since? Uh, Rachel, what about you? Who did you pick for uh, this unflattering uh, <laughs> title, I guess? Okay, well, this requires a disclaimer. Woody Allen has an extremely messy and problematic personal life that we are not going to bring into this because I'm going to be talking about Annie Hall. I think we can agree Annie Hall is a landmark romantic comedy, but it has one rather false note, and that is the performance of somebody I actually adore, and that is Paul Simon, one of my favorite singers-songwriters. Um, I saw him live once. He he has charisma. He He can do it, but... In this movie, he just didn't quite work. I'm not going to say his performance was exactly bad. Like, I, I wouldn't say cast it into the pits of hell like I would, would say Russell Crowe and Les Mis. But it just, his role in the film is, so Woody Allen and Diane Keaton are in a relationship. They're both very quirky people. They're both interesting people. They've got this vibe. And then when their relationship's on the rocks, she meets Paul Simon's character and goes with him. And Paul Simon, again, he isn't bad, but compared to the two characters that are created in this film, I find that it's just not believable that she would run off with him. He's just so charisma-free. He's kind of this black hole in the movie. And it just doesn't work for the character he's supposed to be and the role he's supposed to have. I think if they'd got someone who was able to play a phony a little more convincingly, or just somebody who had something to offer besides just appearing for two seconds, it would have made so much more sense. Or just have Keaton quit and be single for a while. But the way it comes off in this film, it doesn't sink the film at all, but it just didn't do anything for me. Uh, it's, that's interesting, because I I'm perfectly fine with his performance myself, but... You know, when you phrase it as, it's not that it was a bad performance, it's, yeah, it's not it's like... It's not compelling enough. I, I'm perfectly fine with the performance, but that's maybe your point. It's 
fine. So couldn't somebody have done maybe a stronger job? And to your point, I'm like, well, I don't feel the need to change it myself. I see where you're coming from. I feel like, you know, you could easily have put in somebody else who, because, you know, considering what the role is, it's supposed to be like the other guy. Um, somebody who maybe posed more of a threat or somebody who posed more of like a commanding of the screen, uh, potentially. I think that film is full of small characters who are played by interesting actors. And that just wasn't what I was seeing there. If there was even a little bit of interest to his character, it would have made more sense. Even like Christopher Walken, who says like three things, you're like terrified of him when he's like, or like his weird actor friend who appears in like three scenes or his first wives, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, shout out to the very brief uh, Jeff Goldblum and Sigourney Weaver uh, cameos. Not even cameos. Anyway, again, it's not a bad performance by any means. It just doesn't seem believable the way it's set out. No, oh, that's fair. And that, that takes a lot because I know you're a very big fan of his. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a. No, I can, I can see that. I mean, you can't always win. And, and it's kind of unfortunate for that because it's like. Woody, especially during that era, was really good at him and his co-star being the star, but also they almost act like ensemble pieces because the supporting characters are almost vital mm-hmm. to the movement of his movies. No yeah, matter but, how small. Then again, part. would it have been a cliche if he'd just been a sleaze? I don't know. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's like you know, because a lot of the film is through his gaze, but we're also allowed to come up with our own opinions about how neurotic he is. And everything. Maybe it's like he feels threatened by this guy, but he's just a guy. So yeah, like part of it is that Alan and Keaton have such good chemistry. Yeah. So. <laughs> At first, when you were saying, you know, bringing up Woody Allen, la da, I thought you were gonna say uh, you were gonna bring up like ants or something, like something that he like starred in. <laughs> I wasn't sure, but anyhow, okay. I will go on record saying ants was the superior bug movie of the late nineties, but I'll give a Bug's Life a slight personal edge because it's basically a remake of seven samurai but you're probably right <laughs> it's been awesome mm-hmm. to have watched it uh nonetheless um if uh any of these uh people would like to get in touch with us uh, whether they want to thank us for shouting them out or ask us or tell us that we have some explaining to do uh, where could they find us rachel we are on the K-Cut under Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and yeah, we don't mean any disrespect to these non-actor actors that we kind of just roasted, but uh, like they're talented people in other walks of life, but whatever reason, they just didn't hit it out of the park this time. Um, so again, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the K-Cut, and this month, our cinematic smorgasbord individual picks are The Way We Were, The King is Alive, and The Great Silence, and our collective is The Juniper Tree, starring Bjork. Fantastic. Um... I guess now we're going to do uh, random recommendations, maybe just going in order again. Um, for me, I'm going to go with, eh, why not? We were just talking about Bjork a second ago. Um, Dead in the Dark. I know it's such a cliche to pick up, but hey, I feel like a random recommendation of, uh, of this film and how brilliant it is, um, or her performances at least. Good avenue for me. So, yeah, um, Dad Turn in the Dark. Uh, Bjork's one of my all-time favorite musicians. I've brought this up before. That's partially why we're watching The Juniper Tree. I understand why she doesn't want to keep acting because it's not something that she feels comfortable doing. But what a natural in this film. Just a brilliant performance and one of the most harrowing 
desperate, devastating performances I think I've ever seen in any picture. So Bjork, uh, singer, songwriter, multi-musician, or multi-instrumentalist, and here she is as a superstar in Dancer in the Dark. James, what about you? Oh, Dancer in the Dark is such a good movie. Uh, let's see. I guess, I guess I'll go the route with another artist who did a movie. Uh, I'm going to go with the, the Hood classic Juice starring Tupac Shakur. Uh, you know, it's a... It's a it's a fairly simple movie. It tells uh, you know the tales of uh, four black youths growing up in Harlem, you know, kind of you know day to day activities, and then you know one day something tragic happens at the hands of one of them, and it kind of becomes this whole. I don't. I'm not going to spoil it if anybody who hasn't seen it, but uh, you know, it, it's such a shame that uh, Tupac passed so young because he was actually a really good actor. Yeah, like, I mean, he actually. I mean, he went to actually a high school for the performing arts. Like when he was in high school, it's like, you know, and he actually went to school with, um, cause that's how he knows Jada Pinkett Smith or how he knew Jada Pinkett before she was Jada Pinkett Smith. Cause they were mm-hmm. friends for many years before he passed. Um, yeah, no, I think it's just a really great performance and it's like, you know, any performance he did, he was just really good. Uh, Oh, fun fact. Uh, before he passed, George Lucas contacted him to play Mace Windu. Oh, oh my God. That would have been amazing. Yeah, I mean, we still we still love Sam Jackson in the role, but that that would have been like wow, that would have been crazy. Yeah, Tupac and uh, Poetic Justice as well, right? So, oh yeah, Poetic Justice is a really good movie too. Uh, Rachel, what about you? Um, I'm going on a completely different tack this week, and I seem to be the person who's always talking about celebrity deaths on this podcast. But this week we lost a real legend, and that was Miss Angela Lansbury, who has been a star for almost 80 years. And she just passed just short of her 97th birthday. We all know her from something, whether it was Beauty and the Beast, Murder, She Wrote, Gaslight, or many others. But I am going to recommend State of the Union, which was a political comedy from 1948, starring Katherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy. And at the age of 20, she 20-something, she played Spencer Tracy's 40-something mistress. And she's this scheming devil, and she absolutely rocked it. She was amazing. So, Ms. Lansbury, we loved your roles, and rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace, Angela Lansbury. Uh, as for that film, uh, I hate to say it, I'm going to have to check that out. So... Adding it to the list <laughs> for those listeners at home. A uh, list of films that Rachel's going to recommend to me. That's what she's. That's what she means. So, it's so hard to find movies for. <laughs> I know. Uh, my apologies. Nonetheless, thank you for listening, everybody. And that was the cake cut. We are now going into the all cut. <laughs> <laughs>